Hello, and welcome to More is Afraid of the Dark, but not really the podcast. This is episode 10, and today I'm talking about the Betty Ann story, The Tale of the Sorcerer's Apprentice. So sit back and relax, and let's get to chatting. members and welcome to podcast number 10. Today's episode that I will be discussing is the Betty Ann story, The Tale of the Sorcerer's Apprentice. So here's a quick summary of what the tale is about. It's about a guy named Dean Burkham who uh, becomes a goth, for lack of a better term. In this episode, I'll also talk a little bit about chemistry because that also plays into this episode. So let's get on with the summary. As a quick reminder, all of these podcasts are actually directly taken from my blog of the same name, More is Afraid of the Dark But Not Really, which can be found at wordpress.com. This is one of the episodes I remember watching as a kid that scared me. Although having watched it not that long ago, I can honestly say I'm not sure why it scared me, possibly because the episode had a lot a lot of dark elements to it and You know, most Are You Afraid of the Dark episodes, yes, they are meant to be scary, but this one was specifically shot mostly at night or in the dark, so I think that added a little bit to it. I seem to remember Betty Ann's stories the most out of everybody in the Midnight Society, and I would say for me, it's a toss-up between her and Kiki because they are two of my favorite storytellers. Later on in the series, Frank became a favorite as well because I really liked his characters. Gary was always kind of a second choice for me because I wasn't really into magic, so his stories didn't resonate with me as much as the girls and Frank. So today's episode, we are treated to Betty Ann's story about a guy who lacks friends, but is easily hypnotized into becoming a goth. That is right, today I am summarizing, and by consequence podcasting, the tale of the Sorcerer's Apprentice, which is not the same story as the one from Fantasia that had Mickey Mouse and those brooms in the buckets, and uh, basically it was cleaning gone wrong. So the story begins at night, with an old-fashioned prank via Kiki and Frank, the school of the hard-knock pranks. Frank brings the gang into a wooded area with a freshly marked grave. Well, it looks like a grave, but it also kind of looks like a dirt pit that has been covered. He bets his Michael Jordan rookie card, baseball or golf or baseball, we don't know which, that they will find a maggot-ridden corpse. Turns out, it was just Kiki and Frank who, weakened at Bernie's style, rigged a skeleton to scare the rest of the Midnight Society. Part of me thinks that Betty Ann was in on it as she doesn't seem scared. Almost kind of like her reaction is, well played, guys, well played. The rest of the members get pissed. Eric screams, run, run, like he's going to piss his pants. Kiki then comes out and high-fives Frank, and together they yell, psych. So the gang runs back to the campfire, where Kiki makes fun of Eric. He claims not to be that scared. Kristen is pissed, and Frank says, excuse me for adding fuel to the fire. Gary has no time for this tomfoolery. He demands to know who is up tonight. You would think, like the master ceremonies, he would have a weekly schedule memorized. 
but he doesn't. I think the Midnight Society needs to have a um, calendar, or at least a secretary to remind dear old Gary who's up. Betty Ann takes the skeleton head and says, me, to which Eric mockingly says, oh, another gore fest? And I'm now really confused because none of the stories we have seen from Betty Ann have been that gory so far. In fact, it makes me wonder what her stories were like before the series started, but she obviously didn't have any because this is a television show and I'm now thinking way too far. Um... Way too much about the whole situation, I guess, because like I said, it's a TV show and I just need to move past it. You know, it's too bad they never did a prequel of the original members called Origins or something of that nature. I would watch it if it premiered this year. As long as they had the original cast, maybe it would be like they met in a bar and talked about how they used to hang out in the woods behind the abandoned Tim Hortons near Degrassi Street. Anyways, I'm going off on a tangent. So back to the story we go. Betty Ann ignores that weasel Eric and says, My story is about a head of a different sort. An ancient wizard's good luck charm. Gary looks intense like he's going to slap somebody. Maybe Eric. Betty Ann continues, Pick it up and the world can be your oyster. But let the holder beware. This charm may be more than you bargained for. Then she throws the non-dairy creamer into the fire and submits her story by saying, submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society. I call this story the tale of the sorcerer's apprentice. So Betty Ann starts the story in 1966 at Linden High. Probably not Linden in Washington State, as those kids aren't even allowed to dance. Seriously, they don't even have a prom in Linden. We see a young teen girl hide from security. She takes out a wire basket and a jewel and puts them into a deep well in a closet in the school. She waits for them to leave and then escapes. We are now transported back to 1992, where we are introduced to Dean Burkham, who honestly sounds like a loser. Betty Ann tells us he's the kind of guy who blended in. He didn't have many friends, he didn't do sports, and he never joined anything. He just kind of was, and he wasn't so great with schoolwork either, but he has a friend who is a girl named Alex. The friendship is about to be put to the test. They are now in the world cultures class with a guest speaker, Dr. Oliver, not Dr. Tommy Oliver, because this is a lady doctor. Dr. Oliver likes to wear the color taupe. She tells them about goth, and it is almost like she is talking directly to Dean. Goth lives in a gold cobra statue. It's actually more of a staff, like the thing Jafar had in Aladdin. Quite intricate. Dean is like really interested in this statue, and the eyes kind of do this weird glowy red thing, and it like hypnotizes Dean into becoming its servant later on. But we'll get to that part. Dean ditches Alex to check out Dr. Oliver's trinkets, and she tells Dean to go ahead and touch her things. He stares into the scepter of Goth, and its eyes turn red, and Dean is now possessed by Goth, and goes to retrieve the trinkets from 1966. He apparently can break locks now with his hands, and I think this is a useful skill for him because I see him breaking into houses in the future. So now Alex and Dean are in chemistry class, and they are having a test. Dean, who is now possessed by Goth, turns his test in to Miss Crenshaw. And Miss Crenshaw is like, 
dude, you didn't fill anything out but your name. But Dean uses his eyes and he hypnotizes the teacher who is all like, okay, when he doesn't take his test. This leads to a confrontation with Alex. We aren't taken back to the Midnight Society at this point, but we do have voiceover by Betty Ann, and she tells us that something was wrong with Dean, and Alex knew it. I have so many questions about how they narrate the stories. I really should reach out and ask to interview the former Midnight Society members. So Dean just like out of the blue stops talking to Alex, and he starts hanging with a different group of people. I guess you could say they're goths, because this was 1992, and they all look like they shopped at Hot Topic and wore nothing but black. That's also not a jab at Hot Topic because Hot Topic is one of my favorite stores, but it is not like how it used to be in the early 90s up until I would say mid-2000s. Hot Topic used to be known as the store you would go to to get like merchandise from bands like Marilyn Manson, Rob Zombie, Nine Inch Nails, but now Hot Topic focuses a lot more on pop culture, so it's much more of a mainstream store instead of a store that was unique. Getting back to the story, at this point Alex is back in the chem lab, but I'm not really sure why. Possibly getting high off of fumes? Dean steals a bottle of mercuric acid. Alex is confused and follows Dean to an abandoned pool area because I don't think anybody knew that the school had a pool. It makes me wonder if this is the same high school that was in the tale of the dead man's float. Also in the abandoned basement pool area, Alex passes a basement waterfall, which is kind of weird that this school would just have waterfalls randomly in the basement. Anyways, she witnesses Dean bringing back Goth. Well, she brings back Goth to life with the scepter, and it's quite cool. At this point, Goth is just, I guess, in his early stage, because he looks to be about maybe five inches tall. So, you know, Alex is, like, snooping around and stuff, and she bangs some stuff over, and as he's bringing Goth back to life, he sends his minions to help him gather all the ingredients. Now, you might be asking yourself, I thought Dean only had Alex as a friend or very little friends, and you would be correct until he became under the influence of Goth. Goth gave him the power to hypnotize other people into doing his bidding, so I'm left wondering who's really the bad guy in this episode. Is it Goth who gave Dean the power of popularity, or is it Dean for learning how to manipulate people into doing his bidding? So once... Dean realizes that Alex is in the basement near the waterfall. He sends his minions after her. While he's doing this, he's still trying to bring Goth back to life. So while Dean's minions are chasing Alex out of the basement waterfall area, Dean tells Goth he is ready to bring him back. And Goth tells him there is one single task left at hand before he is freed from the darkness. Goth tells Dean that before the moon rises, he must gather the nightshade and prepare the cauldron as the mystic vapors must be released. So he wants a bath and Vic's vapor rub, I guess. Goth then sees Alex, who somehow outmaneuvered the minions, and tells Dean to stop her. Alex runs away and looks for Dr. Oliver. Once again, not Dr. Tommy Oliver, but Dr. Oliver the woman. So Alex goes looking for Dr. Oliver, the woman, and she runs into Miss Crenshaw. Miss Crenshaw says to Alex, oh, maybe I can help you. 
And Alex tells her, oh, I'm looking for Dr. Oliver. Something's very wrong with Dean, and I think it has something to do with that scepter she brought. Miss Crenshaw explains that Dr. Oliver is at another school now. Um, so Alex explains to Crenshaw exactly what's happening with the Dean, and that Dean is possessed by Goth. But Crenshaw tells her there is nothing to fear and to join Goth. So that means Crenshaw is now also hypnotized by Dean and is a minion. This is off topic, but as I had previously mentioned, Are You Afraid of the Dark had a book series, and only two of the episodes ever became books in the series, The Tale of T Cutter's Treasure and The Tale of the Nightly Neighbors. I think this story should have been part of that book series because there's so much information in the episode that it would have made for an excellent adventure book because we only get the bits and pieces of the story and the story would have benefited from more background information or more of what did Alex have to do? Did this continue? But we never got that kind of closure because it wasn't chosen to become a book. So Alex tries to run away from Crenshaw and she runs into the auditorium and Dean is waiting for her in a chair on the stage in the auditorium. Dean and Alex have a confrontation and Alex tells Dean to stop what he is doing. Dean tells Alex that he will let her go only this one time. Alex then follows Dean and his minions to the abandoned warehouse, I think, or possibly the pool, I don't know, that part isn't really clear, where she is caught by two of the minions. Alex asks Dean if he is cray cray and he has the minions put her in a van. So now Dean is gone and kidnapped his best friend. Mind you, Dean is doing this all under the influence of goth. Not goth the culture, but goth the sorcerer from ancient Egypt time. At this point in the episode, we cut back to the Midnight Society, where Frank is all excellent. They're gonna boil her in that stuff. Kiki is somewhat confused and says, what is it? What the what you ma call it acid? Kiki failed chemistry that year. Betty Ann says mercuric acid, to which Eric says I hate chemistry. Gary, trying to get to the bottom of things, says, Now the acid has to do with those mystic vapors, right? Betty Ann says, Maybe, kind of like what she wants to say is just let me tell the damn story. Gary then pipes up again and asks her, What happens next? Looks like Alex's goose is cooked. Betty Ann responds with, Alex may have been backed into a corner, but she is resourceful. So we are now back into the story. Dean and his minions lead Alex into the secret pool area, or warehouse, I haven't figured out which it is yet, where they will bring Goth back to life. So if you want to know how to bring back an ancient sorcerer from Egypt, here is the recipe to bring Goth back to life. I assume it's the same with all other sorcerers. Step one, pour two barrels of mercuric acid into a pool, preferably a pool without water. Step two, then the belladonna leaves, two garbage bags full. Three, the nightshade. Four, then you've got the mystic vapors and you say, rise, oh mighty goth, your apprentice calls for you. Now, remember earlier when I said I was going to talk a little bit about chemistry? Well, here's the part that this comes in. Belladonna leaves is the same thing as deadly nightshade. So I don't know why Dean thought he had to use two forms of nightshade. 
If you want to know what belladonna leaves are, this is what it is after a little bit of light research on my part. This is what I found out. Belladonna leaves, also known as deadly nightshade, is a poisonous plant that has been used as a medicine since ancient times. It's a perennial herbaceous plant in the nightshade family. Um, I'm not sure how to pronounce this. I believe it's pronounced Solanaceae, which also includes tomatoes, potatoes, and eggplant. It's native to Europe, North Africa, and Western Asia. And that, listeners, is your chemistry lesson for this episode. Who knew I could make uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark an educational show, but there you go. So Goth is now back in his full form. I estimate about six foot two, based on the pool size. So I know I keep mentioning this jewel, but it's not really a jewel as much as it's a um, bright red giant marble that when placed in the gold scepter's mouth makes the eyes glow and that brings you tiny goth. But goth is now full size so now it's just like in the scepter's mouth and that's presumably what's controlling Dean. This is important information for what happens next. Alex takes the jewel out of the mouth of the scepter and this action makes it so Dean is now not possessed by Goth. This action wakes him up and Dean realizes what he has done and is now scared. He tells Alex to pour chlorine into the pool, successfully defeating Goth. Alex is impressed by Dean's knowledge and asks them how he knew about the chlorine. Dean tells her it was from Crenshaw's chemistry exam. Dean apologizes to Alex for the way he was and she forgives him. I don't think Alex should have forgiven him so soon myself, but I am not Alex. So now not only is Dean not possessed, but everybody he possessed is no longer possessed. So all the minions that we that he had for himself, they all leave. And after everybody is left, we now see Dr. Oliver, who is revealed to be the girl from 1966. She tells Goth that they failed, but she planted jewels at other schools, so they have another chance. She then says, and to think, when I was a girl, they thought I was mad. And then she laughs manically, or maniacally, I guess is the more correct term. It was really um, revealing. And it's because of that scene right there that I really feel this episode would have benefited from being part of the Are You Afraid of the Dark book series, because I would have liked to known how she became involved with goth. So I guess I would have wanted the book to start in 1966 when she planted all the jewels. Like, how did she get them? How did she fall under his spell? And is she still under his spell? I think that would have been interesting. Betty Ann ends her story, and David says he smells a sequel. Eric says, the world is doomed. Gary says, well, on that cheerful note, I declare this meeting of the Midnight Society closed, and he puts out the fire, because only Gary can prevent forest fires, because Gary's hero is Smokey the Bear. Also, spoiler alert, there was never a sequel. Betty Ann moved on to bigger and better stories, like the tale of the Ghastly Grinner, and one of my favorites, the tale of the 13th floor, which we will get to in a different season. And now it's time for my favorite part of the episode, Maura's Thoughts.
So here are my thoughts for the episode. This is one of probably my favorite episodes in the entire series run. Um, I also didn't really watch the first reboot, but that was because I was somewhat aged out of the program at that time. This is closely followed by, if not tied with, the tale of Cutter's treasure. And I love the tale of Cutter's treasure because it was told by two storytellers and was actually an hour-long episode because it was two parts, both 30 minutes, so that would be an hour. However, this episode as a standalone half-hour episode is just excellent. It gives you enough of a background that it leaves you wanting more. So I really wish that Betty Ann or one of the storytellers would have used this character of Dr. Oliver and Goth to create a sequel or a continuation, if you will. I mean, we have characters from other stories that are continued on in the series. For example, Sardo. He pops up not only in the first uh series run, but he also pops up in the reboot, the first reboot. And then there's Dr. Vink, who pops up um, multiple times in the series run. So I think it would have been fun if we would have had um, Dr. Oliver and Goth trying to find another high school and another loner teenager to try and take over the world with uh, Goth. My second thought is, this story is why Betty Ann is one of my favorite storytellers. Her stories tend to be very open-ended, as in you don't know if uh, the character's going to live or die. You don't know if there's going to be a happy ending. She leaves it very ambiguous, and it's up to us as the listener slash viewer to decide, you know, is this a good ending? You know, is this going to continue on, or is it done? Um, I th- can only think of one of her stories that had a good ending and a complete story in that sense, and that would have been the tale of the doll maker. And I guess you could also argue that the tale of the bookish babysitter, while the ending wasn't open-ended, um, it did have a good ending. So I guess those are two examples of her stories that aren't ambiguous, that we know what happened. My third thought is I love that Frank and Kiki pulled a prank. It shows the dynamics of their friendship. Like, I always knew they were friends, but I didn't know they were that good of friends that they would actually work together to pull off a prank that would piss off the rest of the people that, quite frankly, I thought was hilarious. So props to Frank and Kiki on that. So these last two thoughts, four and five, go hand in hand, and it goes back to the whole chemistry of the episode. Um, my fourth thought was, I've recently learned that mixing mercuric acid and belladonna leaves is poisonous. This is ironic considering Nickelodeon didn't want us to learn about how to light matches, but fails to show how fatal bringing back evil sorcerers can be. My fifth thought was belladonna leaves are one of the most toxic plants in the Eastern Hemisphere. As for the mercuric acid, I learned that hydrochloric acid is a hazardous liquid which must be used with care. The acid itself is corrosive and concentrated forms release acid mists that are also dangerous. If the acid or mist come into contact with skin, eyes, or internal organs, the damage can be irreversible or even fatal in severe cases. This means that the moment Dean brought Goth back to life, he died, and so did everyone in that pool room, because essentially it got gassed to death. So those were all my thoughts on this episode, The Tale of the Sorcerer's Apprentice. What were your thoughts? Have you seen it? What did you think about Goth and Dr. Oliver? Do you also agree that they should have brought her back? The fun fact for this episode is that Matthew McKay, 
who played Dean Burkham, would appear again in season one as Ricky, the dead boyfriend in The Tale of the Prom Queen. That's episode 11, so we have that to look forward to. So thank you listeners for taking this journey with me down memory lane as I talked about Betty Ann's last tale for season one, The Tale of the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Join me next time as we have an Eric story, The Tale of Jake and the Leprechaun, where we find out Eric's grandfather died. So until next time, submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society, I call this podcast... More is afraid of the dark, but not really closed. <laughs>